I'm Lauren. I'm Tia. And this is the journey to transformation. Hello. Hello. How's it going? I'm wearing merch. Yes. I'm wearing a white t-shirt with our logo on it. Very nice. And it says bleeding heart liberal do-gooder, which is basically what we are, right? I love it. And Tia is also wearing merch. You're wearing a blue jumper. Yes, I'm wearing a blue sweater. Oh, sweater. <laughs> Depends where you are. <laughs> and with a white logo on, and that looks very cozy. It you is wear that cool. a lot, don't you? I do. Yeah. <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen you wear anything different for a couple of weeks now. Don't be rude. <laughs> and if you want your own merch, check it out. Yeah. And because Lauren and I are running in the London Marathon, a percentage of all our merch sales are going to the charities that we are running for. Who are you running for? I'm running for Cardiomyopathy UK. A charity that works with people who suffer from cardiomyopathy, which is a heart-related disease. And I'm running for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, which makes wishes come true for people with chronic illnesses. Do we have any love letters today? Um, In our new segment, Love Letters. Oh, Love Letters. Do you remember? Oh, wait, no. Nope. <laughs> <Hey>. Scary love letters. <laughs> um, do you remember when you wrote that love letter to, um, was it Facebook on Twitter or Instagram on Twitter? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, remind listeners what that was about again. Um, I don't know what happened exactly, but Instagram shut down our JRNY podcast account. Instagram account. I did all the things that they said to verify. I took a photo of myself with a special number. I did all this stuff, but they just weren't getting back to us. And it was like weeks and weeks and weeks. So I just started writing them love letters like, dear honey, I'm sorry that we're fighting. <laughs> I really love it. If you can. <laughs> that was funny. We should repost those. That was very funny. Uh, incidentally, I found a back door to get us back in to, uh, to that account. It had nothing to do with us. I, don't, I still haven't heard anything from their customer service, but wow. it's fine. I figured it out myself. Oh, well done. And if you want to know how to do that, donate to Cardiomyopathy or Make-A-Wish Foundation, and I'll tell you how you can get your blocked Instagram account unblocked <laughs> legally. I like it. Well done. Well done. I'll um, sell whatever for this marathon. <laughs> We've got a lot of money to raise. Yeah, that's really fair. Okay. So we, I'm going to read out a letter from a listener. They wrote in and said, dear Lauren and Tia, I've been an ardent fan of your podcast for a while now. I work in the development sector myself and I'm always excited for new episodes. Now I don't have a field story to share with you, but my office here in New York is always full of politics. Don't say field. Well, they wrote field in the letter. I know. I'm responding to them. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sure you're fantastic. We stop saying field. So then they go on to talk about the office politics. We have a notorious office chair. It's one of those plush ergonomic fancy ones that are unbelievably comfortable. <laughs> Somehow it's become a bit of a hot commodity in the office. It began innocently enough. A colleague borrowed it and they put quotations, borrowed it when someone was on leave. But since then, it's been passed around more times in the office coffee pot. It's become a bit of a running joke. Flag. Also the source of some heated debates. This week, the chair mysteriously disappeared, leading to an office wide search operation. In my head, they work at the United Nations. <laughs> like they're going through every floor. We found it two days later in the storeroom, hidden behind boxes of reports apparently Why reports, boxes of reports? Can I just say, boxes of evaluation <laughs> reports that no one has ever read <laughs> that must be old as fuck because he's printing this <laughs> apparently someone decided that if they couldn't have it no one could I guess even in the sector that deals with serious global issues the small things often that cause the most commotion keep up the fantastic work with the podcast best 
Thanks for that. I love that this is what's, uh, whatever organization you're working at. I'm assuming it's the UN because <laughs> they you, have said plush chairs. you said New York, you said plushy chairs. <laughs> They're the only place that can afford plushy, plushy chairs right now. Exactly. <laughs> Everyone else is sitting on those plastic ones, you know, that you yeah. get like in the garden. <laughs> you know, they used to, if you sat on them, like if they existed for a really long time hmm. um, and they got really old, they used to just like completely splay. And like, I've seen so many people like just fall backwards on yeah. these chairs. Yeah. There's a plane going over it. Name that plane. It's a big one. So A380. <laughs> if you didn't know this about Lauren, she can identify the sounds of aviation <laughs> not, not with, some, with some accuracy. <laughs> with a good degree of accuracy. It reminds me of, this is going to be completely lost on you, completely lost on you. You will never get this reference ever, 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 because you're a terrible person. There's an episode of The Office where this happens. It's kind of like the opposite though. There's one chair that squeaks. They keep trying to give it away to different people when they like get up. <laughs> Just watch The Office. I don't okay. understand what your problem is. I think I can <laughs> my problem. <laughs> my problem is there are other things I want to watch. <laughs> no, I know there are, I know you are done with the entirety of the Netflix catalog. So watch The Office. Thanks I, for writing. I like that little story. Yes. And we really want to read out more stories so please do share and you know whether it is about a plush chair or something more serious you know be anonymous and we can read it out but you know you need those types of things right like in your life yeah you need some sort of like petty office bullshit that kind of starts off small but then snowballs into some like collaborative team building exercise yep a hundred percent I love that stuff Mm. because it, it is kind of like uniting in a way you know you feel more like you're part of some kind of funny team and I remember when I used to work in Afghanistan, um, there was this thing about shoes and people's shoes. So there were there were a couple of people I used to work with. And they they used to steal each other's shoes, and they were like men in their fifties and sixties. It was just so funny. They would go to the mosque in the compound and come back, and their shoes would be missing. So they'd have to go home in their like slippers or whatever. <laughs> anyway. What are we talking about today? What's our our topic, our theme? Ethical and moral conflicts of interest. But I think like the shorthand term would be cultural relativism. Okay. Oh, and what do we mean by cultural relativism? This concept that you cannot apply your own value system, moral system onto somebody else that exists relative to that community. So like in your family, you will do what you have for Christmas in your house. To eat? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, a turkey or ham or whatever. That exists within your family dynamic is that you have a turkey or a ham. Whereas in my family, I would do pancakes and spam and rice and whatever. You can't apply your family tradition onto mine mm-hmm. because mine exists in isolation of yours. Right. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And does that span like into organizations and teams and, you know, we're talking about like family, but like, I presume that other groups also carry this kind of like cultural relativism. Sure. Like when we think about, you know, stock market bros, Mm -hmm. very, very different from what we do in our bleeding heart liberal (laughs) do-gooder space, right? Like on Wall Street, you'd have a very different attitude fueled by cocaine and money than what you have in our space. It's about like seeing that there's different dynamics that are ingrained within a particular culture or cultural space or social space and how you 
recognize the fact that that exists in its own space. And then this idea that like one is not better than the other, right? They're just. Well, that's kind of the problem, right? So, okay, go on. So some of the things that we're talking about is if you're an organization and you're like committed to inclusion of all peoples and all genders and yada, 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 and you go and you work in a place that is not like that. Is it your role to be imposing those viewpoints on another culture? When we talk about changing social norms, are we allowed to change social norms? Right. So that's coming from the place of like, who are you with your norms to come in and say, these are the ones you need to be following? Exactly. Okay. Wow. (laughs) I mean, isn't that just like a total deconstruction of the sector? Because like ultimately you as an organization or a non-governmental organization have a set idea of what you think you need to be doing, which is relative to your culture and norms, either as an organization or as an individual. And I presume that there are like country specific other cultures that intersect with that as well. Like, you know, if you're an American non-governmental organization or a Dutch non-governmental organization, and you have a set idea because of why you exist of like what those cultures should be, you know, because you have decided like this is your organizational mission. And most non-governmental organizations mission is to change somebody else. Right. So yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it's a little tricky, right? Yeah. Because especially at the intersection between cultural relativism and for example, that little old thing, human rights. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like if you have cultures and societies where children, for example, need to work, then in terms of like the right of a child, what is our role? Because we were doing a project, there was a whole conversation around this Western view of gender equality. And there was this sort of language that people were saying where they said, yeah, we're happy to adopt the UK version of gender equality. It's this phrasing of like, you have a concept that you want us to adopt. And is that okay? Is that okay? I don't know. Because, (laughs) because, you know, because in my mind, I think that gender equality, do I think that like queer people should have rights? To live and exist and be happy. Of course I do. Like, do I believe that children should not be married off? Do I believe? Yeah, I believe in all of these things. But at what point are my beliefs being imposed upon somebody else who doesn't believe that when I'm doing work around changing social norms? Because, yes, I have a concept of what a person's human rights are, and that is built off of an expanded concept of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. I say expanded because I think there are more things we have rights to. But am I just trying to colonize another culture by saying this is the way that you should be? It's so hard to grapple with because like, as you rightly say, like, I don't know, we are bounded and we or uh, me as an individual, I also believe in human rights. I believe in Equality and equity. No, but like, how do these two things meet? Like, you know, you, you put yourself in a bind of, on the one hand, respecting cultural, community, traditions, places, and spaces that I have no understanding of, versus a set of uh, a human rights framework and values that, like, I uphold and bring and push forward because of who I am as an individual too. It's, it's really hard, and I come back to like this idea that like every non-governmental organization in the United Nations is trying to change people. Like that's the ultimate goal, changing people. So the whole mandate is 
built on this idea that we all need to be in the same space. We need to all have the same social norms. Yeah. Like the sustainable development goals are a really good example of like universal, everybody coming together around a set of goals, assuming that those goals mean the same to everybody and therefore we all need to be striving for them. And I mean, things like health for all. How can you argue with that? But I suppose it's the way in which also that is delivered. What are the social norms around health for all in particular countries? Well, if you want health for all, you have to acknowledge that some people are disenfranchised. But Mm -hmm. if you can't acknowledge that some people are disenfranchised, then I think there's this kind of need to recognize that at the centerpiece of the sustainable development goals are all of these global ambitions sits, as you say, a requirement for everyone to change. And is that all right? Because like people were going around trying to civilize the savages and adopt Christianity and this is your new God, right? Like, is this just like the warm, fluffy version of that? Is it okay to do because these are about the universality of rights? If we think we're right to do it, is that enough? Also, if enough people think it's right. Yeah. Right. Like like it's not as individual, but also like the collective, like everybody is behind this, you know, including spaces where the norms may deviate. What is right to impose on other people? For example, I was standing outside. There was like a bunch of kids lined up and there was a car that was idling and there was like a school. It was a school trip and there was a car that was just parked there idling. So I knocked on the glass and I said, can you turn your car off? Because like you're idling around a bunch of kids. My viewpoint was interacting with somebody else's viewpoint. If he's in his car and he's hot. I mean, it's terrible for the environment. But is that my own perception of like, he's got his own rights to sit in his car and idle all the fucking day long? I'm imposing my own view based on the safety of these children and micro particulates in the air. I'm imposing my own viewpoint and my own values onto somebody else. Should I do that? Because I think what I'm doing is right because it's for other people? Or am I infringing upon this person's right to be a total fucking douchebag? But I suppose like we're all driven. I mean, come on, we're white fucking leading heart level do-gooders. I'm white, sorry. (laughs) I mean, I was reading this. (laughs) Isn't our everyday driven by that need to change and and whether it's you should or shouldn't, like, is it not intuitively also like something that you just do? Like the moment you start questioning like what's right, should I do this? Should I not? Then is that inaction the problem? And actually do Doing it, you should just do it. I mean, I, I don't know if I believe this. I'm just kind of saying that, like, is that is that a way to look at it? I think you should always be questioning whether what you're doing is the right thing to be doing. Okay. Always. The problem is, like, the reason why it's an ethical dilemma is because it's like good interacting with another conception of good, right? Yeah. I want to do a good thing, and I want equity for the masses. But the other good thing is to let people make their own decisions on how they live their lives. This is is about agency and ownership. This is about interacting with people that isn't colonial, that isn't, you must now do this because you are uncivilized. Like, do you see what I mean? Yeah. I want people to have their own agency and autonomy. That's why it's an ethical dilemma, because they're two things that are smashing up against each other. For me, like I want to do good. So like that will always like override a little bit. Like, yeah, you can reflect on what's good and and 
whether I should be doing it. But like, ultimately, like we want to do good as human beings. So like that kind of drive is always going to be there. And I, and I wouldn't know how to like quash that or put it down. I think as an individual, and I'm talking about more in the context of like this example, but like if you take that up to the non-governmental organization and the sector and like whether we should be doing good, I don't know, that takes it up to an organization level where like there is more values and more things coming together in one space. I suppose it's not about like squashing the good that you want to do. It's not about getting rid of that. It's about two good things that you want. You have to pick one. So how do you make that decision? Is it as clear as like that and the other though? Okay, let me put it to you this way. Do you want to respect people's cultural norms and values because they have their own agency and autonomy and it's paternalistic for you to go in as a white woman telling them that their norms and culture is wrong? Or do you want to end female genital mutilation? <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing because that is like the biggest dilemma. I picked two big things. Well, this is the, yeah. this is the dilemma, right? A hundred percent. And I think that... Which would you choose? I think I've gone from one to the other over the past like 10 years, actually. So I think I would have like five, six, five or six years ago wanted to end female genital mutilation and I would have chosen that and I, I still do want to <laughs> I'm just gonna snap this bit no, out like, where it just says I would have <laughs> I, I still want to and that should end and I want to contribute to that but in the context of your question I think that that can also be done a different way I now flip to the right one which is about respecting people's agency because I don't think also that like the agency piece is like one person's agency like there's also a multitude of values in that space. And so like within a space where you're saying that respect people's agency and choice to do whatever, there is multiple people in there who may think like you, right? You're trying to pinpoint people within that community, for example, who have your beliefs so that you can get them to convert the other people to and FGM. This is like colonialism in disguise, isn't it? Well, this, this is, is kind like of <laughs> non-governmental organization building alliances yeah. to action the work of what they would have done on the left. Or this is a another word for this in a different concept would be a proxy war. <laughs> exactly. And actually, this is a really interesting, not realization, because I think I already knew this, but like taking from the left hand side where it's direct to the right hand side, where it's like they have agency and I'm going to use quote marks, yeah. but we still pull the strings on how that's done. Yeah. Right. Yes. So it's going this way sorry, going to the right interior's question, but in disguise. You're saying right. What do you mean right? I mean, going to Do your, sorry, it's going to the question around agency, right. but in disguise. Okay. So you're for proxy wars. <laughs> you heard it here first, <laughs> folks. <laughs> I think that there's a, a white savior hiding in me. Seems um, like there's a colonialist hiding <laughs> in you. <laughs> But I think this is like a really interesting, like the grapple with how do you respect that and let go of, of and not necessarily let go, but take a step back on what you think is right yeah. and the right way to do it. And I think that is the core conversation right now yeah. in the sector. Yes. Like, how do you do that? How do you say, oh, okay, this is not how I even, oh my God, I've got so many thoughts, sorry, buzzing in my head. It's really difficult to... 
articulate. Bear sure. with me, listeners. So I think it's really hard to know how to let go of that from an individual and an organizational perspective and personal reflection. It's hard to let go because you also have a sense of like, oh, I think this is right. This is how I think it should be done. And when that doesn't situate in a general social norm, how are you going? Oh, but that's okay. I don't know. Because then you're kind of saying that I'm okay with that. And that reflects on how you are viewed, right? Sure. Are you spinning? Are you spinning in self-doubt? <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> How do I let go of this? <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, because there's also like you are tied to that potentially. And unfortunately, then you are part of a bigger piece of how people might view you if you say that that's okay. It's all about you, isn't it? No, I don't mean you as in, <laughs> I mean you as yeah. in general you. Yeah. You're confronting a lot. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, but, but very interesting. Are you going to ask me why I think or no? You're just going to impose your white no, views No, but on usually you. You, you butt in anyway, so. Rude. <laughs> well, what do you think about this? Okay. You're so sweet. All right. <laughs> white girls are so sweet. Shut up. <laughs> um, I think that in any scenario, if what is happening imposes on another person's bodily mental autonomy and safety, we should be intervening. So in the case of FGM, that is against a person's ability to make uninfluenced choices about their body that especially when it's done to children. I mean, we're using female genital mutilation because it's like the extreme, the extreme, but in this, but it's a good kind of lesson, right? This conversation about what would you choose allowing people to have their own agency and not influences their cultural norms and direct action against female genital mutilation in this example, I would say you stop that, you stop both of it because it's a, it's something that infringes on a person's ability to exist autonomously. If you have a person in the world who is like, I really want to do whatever, then if it's got nothing to do with anybody else, it's your own thing, your own body, your own life, do whatever you like. But the second it encroaches on another person's ability to live their own version of happiness, that's when it should stop. So I don't really believe in cultural relativism. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think, I mean, I do, I do to a certain extent, right? Like you can have these things that belong to your community, but if they harm somebody else or, or if they restrict a person's ability to be autonomous and to grow in their own space, then that doesn't work. So for example, hierarchical societies, in principle, I don't have an issue with them. The point at which a person can cannot flourish in their own autonomous way, then that is where it becomes a problem. That's all. Okay. That's interesting. I guess it's like, you know, as you said, we, we, you've used the example of female genital mutilation, but I wonder if there are other things that maybe the line is more blurry. For example, I don't know, uh, women's empowerment. Let's say like, you know, your organization is saying that women should be at this meeting. Right. But actually it's all men and it's patriarchal society. So there is not a harm, but there is a representation. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's a really tricky one. Should we just go back to the extremes and talk about like marriage? <laughs> but this I think yeah. is, is This is a more common dilemma. Right. I think it my viewpoint is correct. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think that women should be empowered. Women should be in these spaces if they want to be in those spaces. So I do think that we should be saying, where are the women? I think people of all genders should be equally represented in these environments that you're talking about here. Full stop. 
I don't really have an issue imposing that on other communities <laughs> because I think it's the right thing to do. But what if the women there don't want to? Why don't they want to? Would be my question. Is it about how cultural norms have ingrained themselves in the way that people perceive themselves? Is this about like gender norms that are so pervasive that it's hard to see? Or is it because they're fucking busy vibing and they don't really give a shit? The point is not to change the women. The point is to understand why it exists, I think. And if you understand why it exists and if it's about like male dominated cultures that are holding women down, that is affecting their autonomy, that is affecting their ability to have agency and flourish as individual entities in the universe, that's problematic. But if they're just like, we're busy, fuck right off, then that is them claiming their agency. That is them saying what they want. So I think it depends on why. I think that's a really good question. And I think what is important in what you just said is like the agency isn't just one way. The agency could be no, right? I don't want to participate. And so I sometimes think that we have this tendency to be like, here's what I think is right. I'm putting this on you. And therefore your agency can only be, yes, I agree with you rather than an agency of, I disagree with you for whatever valid reason they have. Yeah. White people are always asking me to do stuff that I don't (laughs) want to do. And yes, do I believe in representation? Absolutely. But I just don't want to do it. Right. right. (laughs) That's all. And, but but the other problem there is like, you can't say to other, you know, uh, this is maybe slightly a a tangent, but in our sector, you can't write, people didn't want to do this. (laughs) Imagine that you have your, your mission is to um, build resilience. And then your response is, well, the community didn't want to build resilience. Yeah. But is that not the the, the conversation about localization is about like people being able to make decisions. And I think if you understand why people are making the decisions that they're making. Again, if somebody is infringing upon another person's right to flourish, then that stop that. That needs to be stopped. But if it's just because people like don't want to or think you're fucking stupid, then like fair enough. Yeah, exactly. And let's invite that conversation. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Don't force your fucking program on me. I might have other ideas. And if you haven't asked me, then... You know, or I might have been doing just fine without you for a very long time. Yes. In fact, (laughs) you're bothering me. (laughs) I think that's it. I think fundamentally, if what you want to do is infringing on the right of another person to be able to live an autonomous, happy life, you can fuck right off. Everybody stop that person. Go get them. If it's just you chilling, vibing, you're not harming anyone. Fine. Whatever. What we see so many times are people like delivering an intervention, delivering a service, doing whatever kind of programming that doesn't take into account what is happening in that space or asking these critical questions about why it's happening. Is that your role to decide what that should look like? Maybe, but maybe not. And the only way you're going to do that, the only way you're going to understand which one it is, is one, you're having like in-depth engagement with communities to deeply understand and not to expect them to parrot back what it is that you think they should be. It should, the context should look like because you already wrote it in a proposal and got money for it already. Mm. It's what is there and what does it mean? Because if you're talking about like deep protracted relationships, culture isn't built in a minute. It's built over millennia. It's why changing social norms is so hard. And also that that can change. Quite quickly. A good example of that is um, when the conflict happened in Syria, I did quite shortly after that a gender analysis and the social norms changed very quickly from men then having to 
not do jobs and hide because they didn't want to be a part of the conflict. And then women being propelled into spaces where they'd never been like in some in some places like work roles, so on and so on. The increase in gender based violence because of the emasculation of men, men having to collect water because they could they had time and they there was no water anywhere. So so just some things that like immediately change. You just contradict the fact that I said that social norms are hard to change. Oh, sorry. (laughs) No, actually, I'm not sorry. There are big (laughs) events like conflict that can completely overhaul gender norms. Sure. Anyway. I think that's a really great, a great sentence to conclude on. (laughs) Really interesting though. And I think that this dilemma is really key to like how the sector is moving forward right now, how they approach letting go, what that looks like and whose version of what is right carries weight. Yeah. So really interesting to keep this conversation going. And listeners, if you have any examples of this or discussions you have in your organizations, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Nice. All right. Next segment. So this week, Tia, lessons learned. What have you learned this week? Okay. I think what I've learned is that I'm not learning enough. Like we are not doing a very good job of like cataloging our learning in a way that makes sense for us to be able to adopt it, which is ironic given that we do this for other people and we're very good at it. I think what I've learned is that we're very good at like doing for other people, but we don't reserve any of that kind of initiative and vigor for ourselves and our own work, which we probably should adjust, right? Because what we need to be doing as part of our learning partnerships is about modeling so that people can see how we learn and take from that lessons if they are applicable to them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really good point. I think because like we have just like in a very rapid space of time learnt a lot and it kind of sits with us, you know? So yeah, I think that's a really good point. Okay. What have you learned? Um, Mine's a bit different. It's not related to sector if that's okay. Oh, should it be? No, whatever. I love the podcast Help I Sexted My Boss. Like, I just find it so funny. Go and check it out. They talk a lot about etiquette. And so I learned something today about salt and pepper. Okay. Uh, which I didn't know. So you know that like some salt and pepper, salt often has like one hole and pepper has like lots of holes. Sure. Do you know why that is? No. So salt obviously used to be really expensive and pepper not so much. Um, so with pepper, it has many holes because you can be quite frugal with it. Put it wherever you want. Frugal, you mean? Uh, not frugal, frugal, but you could be free, like, you know, yes. whatever, because it was cheap. But salt um, was really expensive and people used to even get paid in salt. So it's one hole and you used to etiquette, you you shouldn't sprinkle it everywhere. You, You should put like a little mound at the side of your plate. And dip. And then like take your knife and like put it on wherever. So that's why it's got one hole because A, it's really expensive and B, etiquette you should put a little mound at the side of your plate. And actually the word salary comes from salt, sal, which is a Latin word because yeah, people used to get paid in salt. And I think there's even like a phrase like pay me in salt. Anyway, I don't know. Um, But yeah, that's what I learned today. Okay. (laughs) Is this your uh, unofficial audition to be on the podcast? No such thing as a fish. (laughs) I did used to listen to that too, actually. Okay. (laughs) Um, But yes, that's what I learned this week, which I thought was something I didn't know before. Well, thank you. And that was Lauren's (laughs) fun facts. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Very cool. Well, I hope that everybody's liking our new uh, format for the pod. Um, If you hate it, let us know. If you love it, let us know. 
because we like feedback. <laughs> we prefer positive feedback. And if you're enjoying the podcast, we would love it if you would just give us a five star review on Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts, because we would we'd like to know. We're just talking into the universe and we get to get some <laughs> feedback. Although we are loving the letters. Thank you for the yes, letters. Thank you for the love letters. All right. That's it from us. Cool. Thanks for listening. Thanks. I'm Lauren. I'm Dia. And this has been the Journey to Transformation. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Journey to Transformation. Leave us a five-star rating and a written review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Journey to Transformation is written and edited by us, Tia Rogers and Lauren Burrows. Our music comes from Praz Canal.